Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from the Netherlands is Professor Hanneke Tuckenberg, who is a professor of management education, focusing on women in business at the Rotterdam School of Management. She is co-executive director of the Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations at Rotterdam School of Management, where she leads the center's research initiatives. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Prof. Tuckenberg, to begin with, the Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus University is certainly committed to readdressing gender balance, or let's say imbalance, so much so that it established the Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations, which delivers the research, the programs, events, which I had the privilege of attending, mentoring, coaching, as well as networks to empower women. So can you tell us firstly about the origins of the center, how it came into being? Yeah, I'm delighted to do so. Well, actually, it was a remarkable woman who in 2015 founded Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations. And that's my uh, dear colleague and friend, uh, Professor Diane Bevelander. Uh, And Diane is originally from South Africa, and I met her a couple of years ago, just after she became a professor uh, of management education as well at Rotterdam School of Management. And she came into my office. Uh, I also work in the Erasmus University Medical Center in the Department of Cardiothoracic Surgery as a professor. And back then I was the the chair of the uh, Erasmus Network for Women Professors. And I had sent her flowers to congratulate her. And in return, she paid me a visit and uh, we started talking. And I guess we never stopped talking. She told me about her center and about the observations she had made uh, within Rotterdam School of Management, but also in business, that there is a, a gender imbalance. And she'd been doing some research into that. And she found out that um, Basically, when you look at um, people who collaborate within companies, that men like to collaborate with men and women, and women like to collaborate with men and women, and they also like to hang out with men and women. But if when asked by Diane who they would choose for a risky project, actually men would choose men and women, but women would choose men. And that sparked her interest in the topic of gender differences in leadership. And why would women not choose other women if they were uh, executing a risky project? So she started looking into the literature and she started digging a little bit further. Uh, And then she found out that if you look at business education, if you look at leaders, they're mostly displayed in the form of men. There's, and especially in the Netherlands, this is something uh, that's a very sturdy thing. Um, And and so she dug a little bit further and she found out indeed that there are differences, not only with regard to representation of, uh, there's much more male leaders uh, than female leaders, uh, but also when you look at other aspects. And she thought, how can that be? 
And, uh, and that's when she started Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations. And she de developed a course called uh, the Kilimanjaro Project that was solely for women, ambitious women. While climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, actually developing their management skills and their confidence um, and, and their capabilities of making it to the top. And that was such an inspiring story. I said, I want to be part of that organization. So I joined in 2019 and uh, have been working with Diane ever since. And it's been a beautiful journey. Listening to everything that you've said, I mean, these are all issues and I find it frustrating at the same time that we're in 2021 and we're still confronting these issues where women are undermined, women are not perceived to be leaders and the image of a leader is still very much a, a masculine perspective. You've now come into, well, 2019 was when you came into the, the Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations, but taking on more of a leadership role here, what would you say is your greatest challenge in this position? Uh, well, the greatest challenge is uh, the fact that there is so little awareness of gender stereotyping and the effects it has on the perception of leaders. Uh, you have feminine uh, characteristics, you have masculine characteristics. Usually feminine characteristics are more uh, obvious among women than among men, but both have them. And then there's masculine characteristics, and most men have mostly masculine characteristics, but also some of the women do. And I do believe uh, that it's these stereotypes that make it so difficult um, to realize uh, that leadership and leadership characteristics are usually displayed through masculine uh, correct characteristics. And that's why we associate men more with leaders than women. And the fact that we are not aware of it is not helping very much in redressing this gender balance. So that's one of the main challenges. And of course, uh, another big challenge is, is that, um, and I have to go back to another story uh, by Diane, is that she went to her dean and said, look at what I found in my research. There's such an imbalance. And then she expected the dean to indeed be surprised, but he says, well, everything seems to be working, so what's the problem? That's the other challenge that we're really facing on, on this subject. And, uh, and that's a hard one because that's culture. Those are big challenges. How do you think we can overcome them, though? Because it can't be taken as, as business as normal or it's accepted just because that's the way life has been. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's a, a really major challenge. Um, uh, and of course, uh, it's not by training talented women uh, to be uh, to become leaders, that's one part of the solution. At Equoid, we do believe that women are part of the solution and that women indeed uh, are change agents and can change their organizations as well. But of course, there's also responsibility within the companies themselves, making sure that you're, for example, uh, the procedures that you use to attract personnel and to advance personnel are transparent and are gendered. And then finally, I also believe that changing the culture 
of our companies is very important in redressing the gender balance because uh, what you see a lot of the time is that um, women do enter the workforce but they never feel part of the in crowd and making sure that everybody regardless their gender or whatever diversity they have feel that they are a part of the company and a part of the in crowd is so important into in a sustainable manner making sure that you redress that balance so uh, that's that's i think a, a truly big challenge so it's a, at an individual level and i think women play an important role and men it's at an institutional level where you make sure that your procedures are in place and you make sure that you create an optimal working environment for everybody and then there's the culture Given all of those challenges, which are no doubt significant, we still continuing to grapple with them. I would imagine that it forms a significant part of the type of research that you do within the, the center. So could you give us a, a bit of a perspective in terms of, of some of the research that you're doing on how you are being able to empower and connect women so that they can drive their careers forwards and be recognized? Yeah, I can give a couple of examples. Uh, well, first of all, what comes to mind uh, is the network analysis that we do, because women network in a different way than men do. And they are also uh, more often less aware of its importance. Uh, so uh, you can teach women actually to more effectively navigate and network and, and make sure that they know how that there is a visible organization but also an invisible organization that consists of all types of networks we call that the water so we're doing research into that um, second um, we are, we're also doing research uh, as a form of advocacy uh, raising awareness uh, for example looking at uh, big companies uh, on the stock exchange taking a look at the public information they display there, uh, looking at the composition of their boards, but not only looking at the numbers, how many men and women are in the boards, but also taking a look at the language that they use. Is it gendered? Is it very masculine? Is it feminine? And also taking a look at the images that are displayed in their annual reports. Are they in sync with what you see uh, in the numbers and in the language that they use? And thirdly, there's a research project that I'm really fond of because that's how I came into ECHO. Uh, and that's a research a Horizon 2020 research project. So a big European project um, that we won for Rotterdam School of Management. And that is actually the aim of that project is to develop and sustainably implement gender equality plans in European business schools. And starting with Rotterdam School of Management, but also ESADE, INSEAD, and a couple of other big European business schools. And basically what we're doing there is we're doing research and at the same time we're changing the system. So we are counting the representation of men and women across all levels in the organization, both academic and uh, support staff. We're also taking a look at the policies that are in place, for example, parental leave, um, and all kinds of other policy, po uh, policies that are gendered. And we're taking a look at the safety of the organization, doing a scan of the organization to take a look at social safety. And based on these 
uh, exercises, we're developing a gender equality plan and we start talking to the organization and saying, what do you find most important and we'll go ahead and implement it. So we're not only doing research and gaining knowledge, but we're using that knowledge to truly create change within the organization. And that's a wonderful thing to do. It seems to be transformation in action and thinking yeah. about Horizon 2020, bearing in mind that last year was 2020, how how is the implementation tracking? Well, right now, uh, uh, we started the project uh, in the end of 2019 and we have three more years to go. Right now, we made a scan of the organization and we're discussing it with the leadership. Uh, and the next step is to take the organization by the hand and helping them to uh, continue to monitor how they're doing in their organization and at the same time uh, providing them with tools to change the organization in a sustainable manner. And that can be, for example, uh, through uh, making the HR processes more transparent. But we're also providing them, for example, with uh, uh, courses that help personnel to stand up and reach out if they see uh, unwanted behavior on the work floor. Very practical. And, uh, and of course, we're gonna we are going to provide for talented women in that organization the courses that we uh, provide for many uh, companies and also in our open programs that help women advance in their career and to navigate the system. And the last question I wanted to ask you about your research, which sounds absolutely fascinating. When you were talking about the network analysis, you said that uh, you were looking at invisible networks and you'd called it water. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Please en enlighten me, because I'm sure that would be a question that our listeners would, would have on why the choice of, of water, if it is water as we are all associate, or if it is an acronym for something. Yeah, that, well, that actually, it, you know you're in it, but you can't uh, actually uh, see it, the organization. So you have a formal organization, and that organization, of course, is well-defined in the annual report. So you have the formal organization, and you can find that um, for example, if you take a look at the annual report or if you take a look at the website of an organization, you probably see uh, a board of directors, you see the CEO, the CFO, you see a management board, uh, you see the departments and everything. That's what we call the visible organization. And of course, the people, especially all the way up in that organization, are very influential. But there's also what I call the water, the invisible organization. And that much more has to do with informal networks and not as much the formal networks you see in all those official documents. And it may very well be that people who really are the change makers in an organization are not so visible in that visible network, but they are there and you need to identify them. And it's usually through the more informal relationships that they have formed within that organization that it actually um, becomes clear why they are so uh, powerful and why they are so influential in an organization. A lot of women 
they just look at the visible organization and they realize that's that's the way up or that's where I need to go. But very often it, that's not the case. And it's uh, I always say most decisions are taken either before or after a board meeting. And that's through the informal uh, invisible networks that are around in any organization and trying to understand them. How these people connect is so important if you want to navigate your way through the organization. That's a critical aspect and I have seen it time and time again when networks, the power of networks, have been underestimated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the, I have many examples of those and that I think in hindsight I found out, oh, that's how it works. It's because this one guy knows this other guy from the golf club, but they are invisibly connected and not through the formal <laughs> rules or, that the organization has. Yeah. Or what I find even worse than, let's say, at the golf club where you can say that this was at a particular age category is I went to school with someone and it was primary school or secondary school, that those yeah. networks go back so far into history. I know I have a I remember that uh, one of the leaders of my department I didn't understand why he was backing up one of the other uh, well people high up in the organization but it turned out that 25 years ago one of them had been the best man of the other at their wedding I'm like oh that's why you know because uh, and and they're so powerful so strong it's so important to realize that's also something the information that you may use to, to advance your career. That's what I also make people understand. So yeah. it's also your friendships and the people you meet in throughout life. You should really cherish them uh, because, uh, yeah, first of all, it's wonderful to have these uh, long lasting relationships. But second of all, it may also help you by accident. Yeah. I'd say almost being able to bank your social capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds a bit, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't do it on purpose. That's what I say. Uh, use it uh, with your right mind. Yeah. Staying with this aspect of of networks and and the power of networks, you chair the Dutch Network for Women Professors and. When I looked at the figures, it seems to be in the region of 1,300 women uh, professors and associate professors. We've spoken a little bit about the attributes of networks, but how do you foresee that having this established group of women in a network, how can they utilize the network to be more beneficial? Yeah, at the the Dutch network of women professors, I'm, I'm very proud that I'm currently leading that network. And, and actually, it's more than a, a network uh, of women meeting each other uh, and supporting each other. It actually has grown out, uh, into an organization that is helping to change policy in, the, in academia in the Netherlands. So uh, besides the fact that we, of course, have network meetings where we meet with each other and discuss, um, uh, for example, the fact that we're still underrepresented in academia, that we're still paid less than men are in academia, and that uh, far more for women than for men, social safety is an issue in Dutch academia. 
No, what we also do is we do research into <laughs> the representation of women among all layers in academia. Uh, we do research into the remuneration and not only money, but also the corner office and the secretary and the support that you may or may not get. Uh, and we have done, uh, I think most importantly, research into harassment in academia, which is a big issue uh, and that which is much bigger for women than it is for men in academia. And this is not only Me Too, this also has to do with uh, bullying, excluding people, uh, physical and verbal threats, um, ridiculizing special needs, for example, if you come back from your pregnancy. Um, it's it's all, all these type of things put together. So what we did is we did the research and using the research, both when it comes to representation, we do that every year and we publish a monitor, female professors monitor, and we go to all universities and we go to the Minister, Ministry of Education, we go to the Royal Academy of Sciences and we talk about the numbers and how are they going to change the numbers because still only a quarter of all professors are female while there is so many talents. Uh, also with regard to harassment, our report not only looked at the types of harassment, it also looked at the underlying causes. And they very much have to do with the fact that uh, academia in the Netherlands is very hierarchical. It's very individualistic, competitive. Uh, there's a high dependency on the people above you. Uh, so if you're a supervisor, you have a lot of power over the people below you. And these are all factors that are helping to create unsafe working environments. So, but it also means that these are things that we need to address to make sure that we get rid of this unwanted behavior. And uh, so this research um, uh, resonated very loud last year in the Dutch academia. A lot of cases, uh, women and men found the courage to stand up. So right now, uh, throughout the Netherlands, all universities are addressing uh, harassment and they are putting in place, uh, uh, how do you call that, uh, ombuds people, that's how we call it, where you can go to and file a complaint. Um, they're also uh, talking about um, how can we as a community change the way we deal with unwanted behavior. Well, that does mean also that we need to change the way we are as a community and become less individualistic and competitive and more of a community where everybody feels included. And there we go. I guess the circle is round. That's where you want to go is to a community where it's not about the excellent individual, but about the team of people that is actually uh, addressing uh, research questions and solving it as a team and, and through not being uh, all identical but being diverse that is very important aspect of how we can progress science as well so on the one hand we want to get rid of harassment on the other hand we want to embrace the fact that we need to be an inclusive environment in order to be innovative and in order to be scientifically excellent
and that's through team science. So these are the things that we're addressing as a network and we're uh, we're making great progress right now but still have a long way to go because uh, I mean it is an absolutely uh, enormous challenge uh, for institutions that have been around for centuries and where the the culture is uh, yeah is hard to beat uh, hard to change it, it's systemic and that's what people have have come to expect and sometimes i think for instance from a south african point of view the south african constitution is recognized the world over as being something which is very very progressive but i think about it and i i, I do consider it to be progressive but then I think to, say, countries like the United States of America and think that South Africa's opportunity has been because the Constitution has been recreated in the present, whereas older constitutions were created 200 odd years ago. And they're just not relevant to where the world is today. So it's always really challenging to undo culture and recreate something. No, it's going to take uh, a century, I think. <laughs> it seems like it, uh, indeed. Although, you know, if you look only look at uh, uh, gender, if you if you take the gender perspective, uh, there feminism has been around for some time. You know, it was also there in the 60s and before. And you slowly you see change is happening and it's happening all around the world at a different pace. That's what I see, but it is changing and I, I do believe it's irreversible. And in the end, uh, it's not only it's not gender, it's uh, I guess diversity in a broader sense mm. both visible and invisible diversity and the fact that everybody is unique and should actually be valued because they are unique and not because they fit a certain uh, culture. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's going to be the big challenge towards the future. How do we get towards inclusion and perhaps go even further? How can people remain fully themselves and therefore contribute the most to the system that asks for a system that is open to any kind of perspective? And, uh, and that's difficult for the Europeans, I guess, because it's always been very much, uh, I guess we call it siloed. Uh, everybody's in their own silo and f not talking to each other. And right now what you see in the world, uh, the, the, the world, what's happening right now, there's no way to deny it, that we need to collaborate across disciplines, acro across continents, um, uh, across different uh, lines of thought and that's what makes us stronger and survive so i do i'm very positive but i hope my daughters will live to see the day <laughs> i don't think i will no well at least you've been pioneering in the efforts and having diversity that creates innovation and that in turn leads towards sustainability and acceptance of inclusion and we, we live in a globally connected world. You can't, uh, I'd say that progress is denied when you try and bucket it into different silos. Yeah, absolutely. 
So in terms of, of progress and sustainability, we know that there are the 17 sustainable development goals that were established by, by the UN. And I think we're due for those to materialize at least by, by 2030. The efforts of the Erasmus Center of Women and Organizations really contribute to goal five of those sustainable, sustainable development goals, which is to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. In your view, given what you know today, how do you think or rather, what do you think needs to be done to help ensure that women do have a better future? Oh, yeah, well, there's a long way to go. <laughs> That's for sure. I, 2030 is very ambitious and also because uh, these sustainable development goals are worldwide. And uh, I, I guess over the world, there are different challenges when it comes to uh, also to gender equality. Uh, what I hope for by uh, by 2030 is that at least we have created uh, awareness that it's important and valuable to have equal opportunities for both women and men. Um, that it is important that in order to achieve this, we must start with children. I, I truly believe that the children that are born today if we bring them in a world where we feed them with um, the beliefs that women and men are equal and have equal opportunities and it's okay for a man to be a nurse and for a woman to be a fighter pilot and they won't know the difference uh, that will be very helpful and if we can just make that happen uh, that will be sustainable because we can start working on, on um, adults but there's yeah you can make a little bit of change but in essence they've already been formed so I truly believe that uh, inspiring our children and making sure that when they go to school they can all go to school because that's not a certainty in all parts of the world for uh, for girls and boys and then when they're exposed at school uh, to uh, learning materials, that these are also very balanced uh, when it comes to gender and when it comes to that they can, that any boy or girl can identify with the images that have been given to them. In the Netherlands, for example, this is not the case. A friend of mine, she analyzed uh, uh, textbooks from uh, middle school and high school uh, in the economic uh, 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 classes that were taken and most of the uh, successful people that were betray, uh, portrayed there were men and only a few were women and those women were usually uh, a single mom on welfare or the friend of a single mom on welfare so that's where the picturing and where the dreaming then is at least for a lot of girls being disrupted it stops there because they simply don't identify with the role models that are being offered. So I think that's a very important measure to take. Uh, and of course, there's many more that we need to take mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, sustainable development goal number five, but that's one of them. Thank you very much for sharing your insights into that and especially the importance of creating almost gender neutral roles and the socialization aspect of children so that they develop and you don't have to 
reformulate fixed mental models. Today, we're talking to Professor Hanneke Takenberg, who is co-executive director of the Erasmus Center for Women and Organizations at Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, Prof. Tuckenberg, we're coming towards the latter part of the show. And in this section, I'd like to ask some more personal questions. The first one is that you wear three hats that I've been able to count in today's discussion. So being co-executive director of Erasmus Center of Women and Organizations, being the president of the Women Professors Network in the Netherlands. And on top of that, you also work within the cardiothoracic uh, surgery space within Erasmus University. How do you manage to wear all of these hats and uh, juggle between them? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I don't think too much uh, about that I wear free hats and the uh, I do love uh, the fact that the, the things that I do are very complementary because it's through um, my work in cardiothoracic surgery that I became aware of the inequalities um, uh, and especially gender inequalities in my field, especially when it comes to, of course, representation. There's not a lot of female cardiothoracic surgeons around still nowadays, uh, less than there are few female professors, I can tell you that. And also because I would want uh, those women to have a better working environment. So I guess it's complementary. But on top of that, I only do things that I love to do. And I've done that throughout my life. I've never been led by fame or fortune. I've always gone for what I call the really cool water slides um, that give me uh, the feeling that I truly contribute to my field and in a broader sense to the organizations that I work in. And if you do that, then, uh, and, and of course I say no much more than I used to uh, in the old days, that works out pretty well. What would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? Um, I stay close to my own values. Uh, and I think that's the most important one. If I don't feel, uh, well, I go outside my comfort zone all the time. I try to be vulnerable all the time. And I also uh, try to pick up any critique that I receive and make it into something positive. So I continue to learn. I think that is also very helpful. And I basically, I follow my heart. I, I am sort of a person that finds it very hard to see injustice. I need to do something about it. And I like to then not complain, but rather start working on the topic and deal with it and transform it into a positive thing. And I think Erasmus Center for Women and Organization is such a tool that helps me to create a more equal environment for everybody, men, women. Um, within the companies that they work in. And uh, so that includes my own work here at the Erasmus MC. Yeah. 
And lastly, as we close out our conversation today, could you share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to our future generation of young women and girls that are are listening to us on the continent? Okay. Yeah, well, um, I think most importantly, uh, I have to think of something that Diane tells me over and over again. And that is that women can lead from wherever they are. So it doesn't really matter where you are, whether you are uh, very young, still in school, whether you're all the way up there as the CEO of a big company, you can lead. And you uh, and, and, and that's important to realize. I truly believe that women are change agents. So um, from wherever you are, you can lead. One more practical thing that I always like to add, any recommendation, uh, we notice that a lot of women do not automatically support other women. And that has not to do with the fact that we are queen bees. Uh, This has to do with the fact that we're often underrepresented. So I try to tell all women that if they don't have anything nice to say about another woman, don't say anything at all. And if you get the chance to support another woman, please go ahead and do it and amplify their voice. So if you're in a meeting and another woman says something uh, very reasonable, you say, that's a really great remark. So you try to amplify their voices. So these are my wise thoughts and and I try to apply them every day. And they practical they they're easy to apply there's nothing challenging about them so thank you for those words of wisdom and for joining us today it's been a pleasure to host you thank you so much for having me you have been listening to womanity woman in unity on channel africa the african perspective and we have been talking to professor hanneke takenberg who is co-executive director of the erasmus center for Women and Organizations at the Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus University in the Netherlands.